Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Thank you. 
again a little bit.
same Holy Ghost of Jesus Christ. Fellowship in the Spirit and in truth as one body, one faith, and one baptism, servant, one Lord, God, King, Master of all. Praise your holy name. Thank you, Father, for this spiritual food which we are about to receive. I ask you, Heavenly Father, to help us digest for this spiritual food, that it will provide us spiritual nutrients, spiritual lives, and spiritual health for eternal life, not sickness and not death, but eternal life. Praise your holy name. I ask you, Father, to open up our ears and our minds our souls and our hearts, your word and your instruction and your direction. Pray, Lord Father, that you would help us to see our own faults as easily as we can see other people's faults. I ask you, Lord Heavenly Father, to help us to confess our own sins. Help us to repent. Help us, Father, to trust you and to obey you. Help us, Father, to fully and faithfully believe you and in your power and in your faithfulness. I ask you, Lord, to prevent any hindrance to this service or broadcast. We ask, Lord Heavenly Father, your heavenly anointing and blessing on this service, on the sermon, whatever word I speak, on our reception. We ask you, Lord Heavenly Father, to cut your word, our mouth, and our ears. Help us, Father, to focus upon your word that is being spoken rather than on other things. Help us, Father, to pay attention and focus on what you are saying in this that your word today, forevermore, but not return void or vain, but shall accomplish the purpose of which forth it is being given. We find and cast out every evil spirit that tries to hinder this message and the fulfillment of your word in us, in the body of Christ, and in this service. Plead the blood, claim the blood of Jesus over this service, over this broadcast, over this worldwide congregation. Jesus Christ's holy name, so be it. Hello, brothers, hello, sisters. Happy seventh day. Hope having a good day. Hope that everybody was able to get evil. Today will prove to be a rest. 
chapter 3. Today is the 11th day of the 11th month. The title of today's sermon is Dressed and Beat. Dressed and Beat. Hebrews chapter 3. God willing, we will read all of chapter 3 and chapter Reading from the Alpha and Omega Bible, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him. Talk about Jesus was faithful to greater measure of his spirit that always stayed in heaven and did not come. Jesus was faithful. Consider him that he was faithful. As Moses also was in all of his house, meaning everything that he did in his family and in the congregation. The congregation of Israel or the nation of Israel was called the house of Israel. The nation of Israel, including all 12 tribes, was the house of Israel. Eventually, two of those tribes became known as the house of Judah and only the other ten tribes as the house of Israel. But originally they were all, all twelve tribes, the house of Israel. The Bible promises that in the second resurrection of Ezekiel 37, resurrection of bones, flesh and blood, that all of Israel will again be regathered, reunited. The house refers to Moses the faithful to all of Israel. And all of Israel, all tribes, were also called the congregation, the Old Testament call. Nation of Israel, the congregation. Verse 3. For he had been counted worthy of more glory, Jesus had, more glory than Moses. Yet, Muslims and the Hebrew root people, Jews, focus more on Moses than they do on Jesus. Yet the scripture says that Jesus had more glory than Moses. 
are not Hebrew roots people. Do not be mistaken. Although we keep the seventh day and the holy days, and even though we light a menorah or seven candles on the seventh day and all the holy days, we believe in the Ten Commandments. We are not Hebrew roots. We are not Hebrew roots cults. We do not focus on Moses like they do, and we do not focus on what they call the Torah that Jesus never did in the New Testament. Say the word Torah, neither did any of the apostles, but rather commandment and law, whatever the Greek words were, were for commandments and law, but it was not Torah. We are not Torah people. We are not law people. We are not commandments people. We are Jesus. We focus on Jesus. Not focus on the commandments. Not focus on the requirements. I hope you do not focus upon the requirements of law. Rather focus on the law giver. Jesus. The law was good, Paul said. The law giver, Jesus, has more glory. And it says, by just, so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. Builder, the carpenter, the one that builds the house, has more honor than the house itself. Hey, the house may be beautiful, great, majestic, but the one that built that great house should have more honor than the one than the uh, material wood, concrete materials. Verse four: For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things. Now, Moses was faithful. Jesus was a noble Moses. Moses was faithful in all of his house as a servant. By his testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house whose house we are. If, 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 circle, I'd like for you to circle that, that word if, because it is conditional. If we hold very tight, and James says hold fast, very tight our confidence and the boast of our hope, firm unto the end. Christ is faithful over us if, conditionally, if we hold very tight our confidence and our boast of our hope firm to the end. In other words, he will always be faithful to us if we are faithful to him. We hold tight in the midst of the storm, in the midst of all trials, tribulation, testing, affliction, temptation, if we hold tight and never depart from him, he will not depart from us. It is conditional. Tight, regardless. 
of the lie of once saved, always saved doctrine that says that God would never leave you unconditionally. Now, of course, God loves us unconditionally. Does love us unconditionally. The Bible says that he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. While we were still yet sinners, the Bible says that he died for us. While we were still yet sinners. So yes, he loves the sinner, but hates the sin. Too biblical. Regardless of what you may have read or heard from the liars. We're talking about trust and belief. Another expression or word for that is faith. Faith. Have faith. Trust and believe in the goodness of God. He is faithful. He is faithful. Amen. You can count on him. Yes, additional. If we also are faithful. Amen. Verse 7, therefore, just as the Holy Ghost says, today if you hear his voice, what does it mean today? Well, every day is today, isn't it? Yesterday, what it was at that time called today. Today is, and tomorrow we will say today. Every day is today, so it's basically any and every day. At any time, if you hear his voice, and it is basically saying right now, if you hear his voice, amen. That's what it's saying. Right now, if you hear his voice. Remember the expression, I believe it's in the book of Luke, where Jesus says to to the thief on the cross, today, how is this, help me out here, Brittany, I'm getting the brain I say unto you today, I say unto you today, You shall be, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say you will be with me in paradise today. But rather, I say unto you today, he was basically saying, I say to you right now, a modern American Western expression phrase is, I'm telling you right now, or listen to me right now, That's what Jesus was saying. I say it to you right now. You're going to be with me in paradise. When paradise comes. Amen. A lot of us think that heaven is paradise. It might be a paradise to us, but it is not the paradise. Heaven is not paradise as, as far as the definition, biblical definition of paradise. Paradise, the paradise. It should say the paradise. 
the paradise is the new heaven, new earth. So anyway, it says right here in verse 7, right now, if you hear his voice, I'm going to make a note of this, because I may even change that in AOV, I don't know. I'm saying I will or I won't. But I know that's what it means. Right now, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the provocation against me, as in the day or the time of trial, the desert. Talking about the 40 years in the wilderness, which was a desert. We think of 40 years in the wilderness, but it was desert. It was not forest desert. The word wilderness is actually much more better translated as desert in a sense, but in another sense it is wilderness in a symbolism of wandering and not not being at home quite yet. Verse 9, where your forefathers tried or tested me by challenging me. Saw my works for 40 years. They saw the pillow of fire by night, the pillow of cloud by day. They were fed by quail and manna. All these things every day for 40 years. Know that? It was fed miraculously. By quail and manna every day for 40 years, as well as pillow of fire and cloud by night and day for 40 years. It wasn't just as they crossed the Red Sea. Amazing. They saw God. They did see God. God was the pillow of fire. Father says, No man has saw God. Bible says no man has seen God. It means no man has seen the fullness of God because God exists throughout the entire world and universe. No man has seen the fullness of God is what it's talking about. But they saw God. There's many scriptures where they saw God. Jacob that wrestled with God, he saw God. Abraham and King Mekhediak, Abraham saw God. Any other example? But no one has yet seen the fullness of God. But they challenged him in the wilderness. They tested him. Who are we to test God? Amen. Therefore, I was angry for this or that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my way.
As I swore in my wrath or anger, they should not enter my wrath, meaning that they would not complete their journey into the land of promise, which to them would be paradise. The land is milk and honey, the land is Canaan, where Joshua and others did enter in, but not the majority of the people. They did not enter into my rest. They did not enter into the promised land. Because God was angry with them because they tested him and challenged him. They did not really believe and trust in him. And they were not obedient. Verse 12, take care, brethren. That word take care means be careful. That there be not in any of you, any one of you, an evil, unfaithful heart that falls away from the living field. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, which is every day, forever, at any time, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What is sin? The Bible says the transgression of the law. But sin is only the transgression of the spiritual law, and not the ritual ceremonial laws like circumcision that was done away with. But we have become partakers of Christ. If, 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 traditionally circle the word if. In fact, any time in the Bible you see the word if, you should always circle it to help you understand that it is conditional. There's a lot of conditions. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold very tight the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Twice already we have read verses that prove that the once saved, always saved doctrine is a lie. We're only become partakers of Christ only if we do endure inside Christ until the very end. While it's said today or right now, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all of those who came out of Egypt led by Moses, all those people provoked God? Millions of people, at least one million people, maybe two, three million people. Every one of them provoked God except for perhaps Joshua, Taylor, maybe even they did at times, perhaps. And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? The Church of Babylon 
teaches that chapter 3 and chapter 4, that the word rest only refers to being inside Jesus. And they claim that this has nothing to do with the keeping of the commandments or a requirement of the seventh day. That is their claim. Yet, this talks about obedience and disobedience. Does it not? Did I just make a true statement or did I just lie? Am I trying to deceive you? Question this. Test this right here, right now. Is there not or is there a context of obedience and disobedience? To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Please underline that word disobedient because it has a lot to do with the context of what it's talking about. Go back to verse 13 and underline the last word of verse 13, which is the word sin. Amen. Verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unfaithfulness. What kind of unfaithfulness? What does it mean? We go back to read in the book of Exodus and Numbers about the people in the wilderness for 40 years. How were they unfaithful? It was unfaithful by disobedience and by not trusting and believing in the faithfulness of God, that God would provide food for them on the seventh day, that God would protect them from their enemies if they were obedient. Everything was conditional upon obedience and staying inside Christ. And not only obedience, and staying inside Christ, but also believing and trusting in Him. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear if, circle the word is, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering into His rest, any of you may seem to have come short of it. In other words, we should fear God. And especially if, conditionally, we should fear even more so if we fall short of entering into his rest. But does entering into his rest mean only believing in him? Or does it also mean really, really trusting in him and obeying him? Verse 2, for indeed, if we had good news, that were good news, you can put it in quotes because that could also be translated as one word, which is gospel. The word gospel means good news. If we had had good news, if we had had the gospel preached to us, even as they also did, they did. They heard the gospel. 
But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united with faith in those who heard it. Verse 3, For if we have believed, for we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my anger, they shall not enter my rest. And yet his works were finished from the foundation of the world. What works were finished from the foundation of the world? Church of Babylon says all spiritual work, laws, commandments, requirements, and yet that would be insane to say that because if that was finished from the foundation of the world, then why did God tell anybody at any time in history that we had to keep a law or a commandment or a requirement? How then was it finished? That doesn't make any sense. That is not logical at all. What works were finished? works that were finished at the foundation of the world is that God made the heavens and the earth. That's all. That's all. God made the heavens and the earth, and it was done, and it was finished. And he saw that it was good. Verse 4. For he had said some words concerning the seventh day, underline the word seventh day, quote, and Theos rested on the seventh day, underline seventh day again, rested on the seventh day from all of his works, underline the word works here, and go back and underline the word works in verse 3, so that you can connect the two verses more easily and the context more easily the word work two times in these two verses, and the word seventh day two times in these two verses. Then verse 5, again in this verse, they should not enter my rest. Okay, so you've got two opposite things here, working and resting. Two opposites, amen? Working and resting. Some people work, some people rest. But it's in the context of obedience and sin and the seventh day. Sin is the breaking or transgression of the law. And the law that is specific here is the seventh day. Not circumcision, not clean, unclean foods. But the seventh day is the context. If you do not enter into his rest, that means that you refuse to stop working on the seventh day. If you do not enter his rest, that means you refuse to stop working on the seventh day because you do not trust that God is faithful and able to provide food, rent, electric, utility, water, food, water, provision, 
warrior journey, for your wilderness journey, for your wandering in the desert, for your wandering in the hiding place, or for the seventh day of the week and holy day. I have heard many people say that they have to work on the seventh day because they have to pay their bills, their house, their rent, whatever. The reason they say that is they do not believe in God. They can say all they want to they believe in God, but they do not believe that he is the almighty, all-powerful, all-faithful, good, and true God. They refuse to rest. Amen? They refuse to rest. Now, if you believe in God, truly believe in God, that means have faith in God, trust God, then you can rest at night unless you have trouble sleeping like I do for other reasons, different reasons. But you can rest at night knowing that you do not have to worry about his faithfulness, about whether or not that he is going to provide when you're obedient. If you are obedient, if you are keeping the command, if you are in the center of his will, and if you are truly abiding, dwelling, living inside God, and he inside you, then you can rest Assuredly, knowing, believing, trusting 100% that God is faithful to fulfill his part of the deal, the covenant, the bargain. Therefore, you can rest mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically because you are obedient to him and not have to be as fearful even though we all should fear God to some extent. But if you are disobedient, even more the reason to be fearful. But fear and rest are opposite. You cannot rest in God if you are terrified of his wrath because of your disobedience. Verse 6. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter in, and those who formerly had gospel preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, breaking the law, and unbelief. They saw God every day for 40 years. And yet they still did not believe God. They believed in a God, but they did not believe in God. They believed that there was a God that exists, but they did not believe in Jesus. And again, specifies a specific day. He again specifies a specific day. Specific day. Specific day. When can Babylon read this and understand? 
devil has blocked their understanding. The hard-headedness, their stubbornness, their rebellion has blocked them from believing Scripture. They say all the time they believe the Bible, they believe Scripture, but they read this verse and they do not believe that God specifies a specific day for the Sabbath. Today, saying to David after so long a time, just as, as has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Jesus had given us a rest, meaning about a day in the context, would he not have spoken of another day after that? How much more plain, how much more simple can it get? And yet, many, many Babylonian preachers, Sunday preachers, will claim that the New Testament never says that we have to keep the Sabbath or that the Sabbath remains. And yet right here, it says that if Jesus had given us a rest, talking about a rest day, a different rest day, different Sabbath, because he had changed the day, that he would have said so. How much more plain, how much more simple can you get? Either they have not read the Bible, or the devil has, maybe we shouldn't even blame the devil, but rather the hard-heartedness their hearts that they refuse to believe the word of God. It's their own fault. Amen. They don't want to believe truth. They're too comfortable in their lives. And they do not want to change. They do not want to repent. And they refuse to enter into the true rest of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, therefore, there remains a keeping of the Sabbath for the people of the others. Amen. For the one who entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as Theos did from his. When did Theos rest from the law? Never, never, never. But he rested from his work on the seventh day. Context. Amen. Verse 11, therefore, let us be diligent, careful, to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same, same, same example of disobedience. Disobedience is talking about breaking the law. How can you be disobedient if there's no requirement to keep any law? How can you be disobedient? That there is no requirement to keep any law. For the word of Theos is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, 
and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He knows that these people do not love the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2 says that the reason that God will sin the strong delusion is because the people do not love the truth, but rather they believe a lie. It's very extremely difficult for a person in the Baptist Church, Lutheran, Catholic, Pentecostal, and other churches. Extremely difficult for them to accept truth because they love lies. They love lies, and they do not love the truth. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible teaches in Thessalonians 2 and other verses. But the word of God is sharp and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Holy Scripture judge you. The scriptures judge you. The word of God judges you, judges your heart about whether your heart is hard or whether you are accepting of his commandment. Amen. And there is no creature hidden from his sight for all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of Dios, let us hold very tight our confession. Repeatedly, it uses that word very tight because the storms are raging against us to try to pull us away from the truth. So you have to hold on very tight. For if we do not have a high priest, no, I don't say yes, for we do not have a high priest who cannot synthesize with our weaknesses, but one who has been, it should say, tested, but one who has been tested in all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tested with breaking the commandments and the law, but he did not break the commandments and the law, even though a lot of churches say, did you know this, that a lot of preachers claim that Jesus broke the seventh day. They say that. Have they never read the Bible? Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. In the context of God being faithful and us believing in him and entering into his rest so that we will not have to be as fearful when we are needful, whether we are in need of food, paying the rent, a hiding place, answered prayers, for whatever the reason. When we are in need, true need, not just want, but when we are in need, we can boldly, with confidence, go to his throne of grace. And we will receive mercy and grace in time of faith. He sympathizes. He feels our feelings. He lives inside of us, so he knows our every thought. The Bible says he knows our every thought. The Bible says that he knows our thoughts even before we speak. Amen. Many people pray for forgiveness, for grace, for mercy, or for some other need, but they don't believe when they ask for it. But God is faithful, and he knows our need. Bible says he knows our need. I remember years ago somebody asked me to pray for them about a certain matter. I forget whether or not they asked me to fast, but they did ask me to pray. And I did pray and I did fast for the situation that they asked me to. And then later, when I talked to them, they said that their prayer was not answered. And that they knew that God would not give them what they had asked for. They knew it. God would not do it. Well, I, I had fasted. I had starved myself. So when this person told me that they they knew God would, would not do this, I knew that I had fasted in vain. That I had starved myself in, in vain. They had wasted my time and my energy. I could have had a, a pizza or whatever food. But no. Because this person wasted my time. Why in the world did they ask me to pray or to fast, whatever they had asked me, if they knew that God wasn't going to do it? Why even ask somebody to pray for them? 
Why even ask anybody to pray for you if you know that God is not faithful? If you know that God is not faithful, why even go to church? Why even try to live right? But the Bible says, and we will read it, that when we ask, we should believe. Amen. And if we believe, he will give us what we have asked for. If it is according to his will, we'll get into that more later. Amen. Chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among people is appointed on behalf of people in the things pertaining to Theos in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. I don't want to read chapter 5. I just wanted to read chapter 3 and 4. Let's go now to uh, 1 John 1. Over there next to the book of Revelation, 1 John 1. Please pray for me now for my energy because my body is very drained, my mind is very drained. Pray for me now. John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, if, 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 if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Underline the word all because that includes murder, child molesting, homosexuality, stealing, pride, adultery, everything. All. God is able, His blood is all-powerful. God can save anyone. And he can and will forgive anyone of any sin. There is no exception except only blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, which I believe is that after you have received the knowledge of the truth, that you continue to be rebellious all the way until the end. I believe that is the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. 
that is not forgivable, the only unpardonable sin, is only if after you have received the truth and still remain disobedient to the very end. Because you can look at many examples in the Bible. For example, the Apostle Paul, how he at first did not even believe that Jesus was God and commanded the murder of the followers of Jesus. He spoke against Jesus. He said that Jesus was not God and commanded the murder of Christians before he got saved. So he was guilty of murder. Rather, he commanded it or did it or murdered people by his own hand or not by his own hand. The blood was on his hand. And he persecuted greatly the church. But God forgave him and called him even to a great position as a leader of the church. Amen. So if you look at all the different things, even speaking against God, which Paul did, even speaking against God, working against God, provoking God, You look at all the possibilities. God can forgive any sin except for rebellion into the end. If you remain rebellious until the end. That's the only thing he will not forgive you for. It's only if you never confess. That's it, ain't it? Only if you never confess. That you're wrong. Only then will he not forgive you. And yet, people are people that think they're not for pride, they are very powerful. Stubborn, hard hearted, refusing to confess their sin. I know a lot of people like this. Lots of people who I have told them what their sins are. Lots of people that I have told them what their sins are. And they say, no, I'm not guilty of this. I do not confess. A woman who lives in, I think, Wisconsin, who is paranoid of People, what their, uh, what people's uh, intent is. She she's always suspicious of everybody's intent. Somebody just pulling the driveway. She thinks they're going to kidnap her kids. I told her she's paranoid. God told me that wasn't only me myself. But she says that I bear false accusation against her. And she says that I have said untrue things about her. But yet God said that 
that what I said was the truth and that I needed to say it to help her come to the realization of this and that her paranoia was wrongful fear and condemning and judgmental against people without cause and was not righteous and is a danger to her. That she's got to get over this. That she refuses to confess. And yet another woman who abused her husband, punched her husband in the eye, gave her husband, her last husband she had, gave him a black eye over and over and over and over. Kept giving her husband a black eye. And yet, when I confront her about this and say, you are abusing your husband and disrespecting him, She refuses to admit that she has done anything wrong. Nothing. Nothing wrong. The insanity that I have to deal with and that God has to deal with. Amen. And yet another woman in New York State That when I confront her that she needs to stop dressing like a man and working like a man and that she needs to keep God's holy days right here in this place where God has put his name, his power and authority right here as the Bible says that she must come here as the Bible commands that she must come here since she does live inside the United States. She refuses to confess. She refuses to repent. And says that all of this is impossible. Impossible. It's impossible for her to stop dressing like a man. It's impossible for her to stop working like a man works. Shoving snow, digging rocks, and and digging ditches and all that stuff that only a man should do. And impossible for her to come here to keep the commandments, to keep the holy days of God, even though I told her to keep her tithes and not send her tithes anymore, and that would have been, I think it was $2,000 or more per year. And out of $2,000, yes, she can come here. But no, she's not wrong about anything, she says. She's not wrong about anything. And it's impossible for her to obey God on any of these matters. And I could continue on with many, many other examples. But you get my point. People refuse. To confess that they have sinned against God. I'm still waiting on my email to confess that you did put your children before God. 
He did. And if you do not confess it soon, you will be cast out of this congregation. This is a serious thing. And yes, you must confess it to me, not just to God. Because it is my job to correct the congregation. And I'm still waiting on the other person to email me professing that you have put other things before God and that is a different person. Still waiting for people to confess their sin. God is faithful to forgive if we admit our sin. But people are stubborn, hard-hearted. But if we do confess, if we do admit to ourselves and to one another, as the Bible says, then he is faithful. And he will forgive us of anything. Amen and to cleanse us, not just to forgive us, but to cleanse us. Not just to say, I forgive you, but to cleanse our hearts. Amen. The harder part is forgiving ourselves. The Bible says that the devil is going back and forth between the earth and heaven and accusing us before the throne of God day and night. We know that many people on earth also accuse us falsely or even truthfully of sins that have been confessed and repented of but sins that have been admitted, confessed, and repented of should not be brought up except only by that person himself, only in testimony of what God has done for them. Amen. But we need to believe in the faithfulness of God that if we have admitted our faults and our sins, and have repented, that means we have stopped doing that sin. And we have started doing correctly. Turn around. Stop one thing, begin another. And if we have both confessed and turned around, stopped our sin, and started doing right, he is faithful, and we need to believe that. We need to believe that, and we need to accept that, as we read in Hebrews 4, that we can go to the throne with confidence, with great confidence in boldness, not having to shrink back in fear because we're disobedient, but rather to confidently approach the throne of grace 
knowing that we're covered in the blood, knowing that he is faithful, knowing that he is just, knowing that he is good, knowing that he is loving, knowing that he has called us and chosen us, created us, that he loves us and he is faithful and just to give us. We need to accept that, believe that. And but if we continue to hold on to the sins of our past in our hearts and minds about a a uh, oppression of guilt, not forgiving ourselves, then we are not accepting his forgiveness. And that's a sin in itself. To not accept his forgiveness, that's like somebody giving you uh, a good gift and you turn it down, unless, of course, you're turning it down because it's Christmas or something. But I'm talking about in general, in a different time of the year, and somebody gives you a good and acceptable gift, but you turn it down, that would offend them, would it not? Yes, it would. If somebody gives you a good and acceptable gift, a gift that would actually truly help you, and you turn it down, it would offend them. It offends God for us to turn down his forgiveness. Amen. We need to trust God, believe God, that he has forgiven us. The devil will bring it back up in our hearts and in our minds, but we have to slap the devil away from us. We have to fight spiritual warfare. You know, I have admitted many times, even on the website and in sermons and to people in person, I have admitted many times that I used to live a... I used to live in homosexuality for many years. Because the things that happened to me as a child and I never really had a loving father figure as a child, did not have that masculine example, had a very domineering mother, very evil situation. Regardless of the cause, I lived in sin for many years. But I confessed that I was in the wrong. And I confessed it publicly and to God and to myself that I had been in the wrong and that I had sinned, regardless of the reason. And I repented and turned around and stopped doing the wrong and started doing the right. God even blessed me with a, a wife. But, of course, the devil, to this very day, sends temptations, trials, testing, and accusation. That is true for every one of us, regardless of what your sin is. After God delivers you, after you overcome, after you repent, 
There will be adversity. There will be trial. There will be temptation. There will be testing, and there will be accusation, both from within and without, from within and from outside of you, from you and from other people, not just from other people, but even from your own carnal mind, tempting you, testing you, and accusing you. Self-guilt as well as from other people. But we have to fight that from within and from without. We have to fight it. We have to fight spiritual warfare. Every one of us must fight spiritual warfare. Not only about previous sins and aggravations, but also in guilt, but also other temptations, brand new temptations, or and false doctrine and other matters, many other things. We all have to fight, every one of us. Every one of us have to fight, fight, fight. Fight hard, fight hard. Spiritual warfare. We are the army of the Lord. We are soldiers, and we must fight. And if we do not fight hard enough, the enemy will win. So win. The harmful thoughts enter our mind. We must fight back hard, sometimes out loud, verbally, rebuking thoughts, rebuking aggravations, rebuking memories of the past. And we must fight hard against such things. And fighting hard means sometimes fighting verbally out loud, not just silently in your mind, but verbally out loud. The scripture says, pulling down strongholds, pulling down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That is spiritual warfare. Amen. And we must also fight unbelief, unfaithfulness, not trusting God. When trials and tribulations come, we must fight the unfaithfulness. So if we are praying for something and the false accusation comes in that God is not going to give us what we have asked for, we need to fight that and say God is faithful. The Bible says if I ask for anything, that be within inside his will. And if it is truly good for me and is susceptible to his will and it's good and it's not carnal and it's not harmful, it's not wrong, God will give it to me. The scripture does not lie. We have to fight back. Use that sharp two-edged sword, which is part of our armor of God, Ephesians. We must put on the whole armor of God, which includes using the sword of the word of God against every high thing, every thing, or every imagination that comes against the knowledge of God, of how faithful God is. We must fight back using scripture, out loud, in our heart, in our mind. Put Bible verses on the wall that encourages you, that helps you in your spiritual fight. 
tuck Bible verses on the refrigerator, on the mirror, wherever, to help you fight the enemy. Use your sword. Do not let your sword rust. Use your sword. Amen. Look at chapter 5 here, 1 John 5. One John five, verse fifteen, or verse fourteen rather. One John five, verse fourteen and fifteen. One John chapter five verse fourteen. This is the confidence. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> this is the confidence which we have before Him. That is, we ask anything that includes forgiveness, or a hiding place, or food, or rent. If we ask anything according to His will, according to His will, underline according to His will, He hears us which means he answers us. If we know, if and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. We have it. It's done. It's accomplished. If we know. Not just maybe, but know. We know, we know, we know, we know. That means you believe, you trust, you believe in God, He is powerful, He is faithful, He is not weak, He is powerful, He can do it. And He will give it to us. But it also must be conditional. It is, it is conditional. If it is according to His will. So many people say, but well, the Bible says anything we ask in His name, He would do it. Yes, it says that. And therefore they say, well, plant or candle. Be removed from this corner of the house to the other corner of the house. Or mountain, Mount Sinai. Move from this piece of land in Saudi Arabia and move to Russia. And it don't happen. They say, why doesn't it happen? Well, it doesn't happen because God does not want Mount Sinai moved from Saudi Arabia to Russia. Come on now. It's not according to his will. And it's not his will for the candle or the chair, or the trash can to move from one place to another place, or for the, for the ink pen to rise up in the air. That's not God's will. When you do that, you are challenging him. You are testing him. And that is a sin. You sin when you say to the ink pen, rise in the air, and it does not rise. And you say, why does it happen? Well, God, God is not doing it. Am I using the wrong name? You know, you go through all the questions. Do I not have faith? Well, you don't have faith. You don't. When you test God like that, you don't have faith because the reason you tell that ink pen, ink pen to rise in the air is to test whether it will work or not. Amen. And you're testing God. And that's wrong. Because then you're using God as a genie. That will grant you your wish for vain things. 
about just moving around the room is not God's will. He's not a ghost, and he's not a genie. He's not a witch. There's no purpose for such things other than to make you believe. But blessed is he that believes without sin. Blessed is he that believes without sin. If you have to have an object to move, if you have to have that in order to believe in the power of God, then you don't believe in the first place. Don't test God. Don't challenge God. If you're there, if you can hear me do this, that's challenging God. Like if you're, you have a friend that says, I can run 50 feet in 10 seconds or less. I'm just making this up. I don't know if that sounds reasonable or unreasonable. But if you have a friend that says, I can run 50 feet in 10 seconds, and you say, let's see you do it. Well, then you're challenging him because you don't believe that he can do that because it seems impossible. Therefore, God says, I can do anything. I can, I can do anything that you say. If you ask of me, I would do it. And you challenge to see if it will happen, to see if God will do that in you. See if it's true. It's testing God. It's provoking God. But if you do things knowing that it will happen and it's not a test and it's not a challenge and it's not in vain, but it needs to occur, such as casting out a devil, cast out a devil, that's not in vain. That's not testing. That's not challenging. Unless your heart is testing God. It could be a challenge. It could be testing. Your heart is not right in it. But if your heart is right in it and you're trying to help that person and you know it's going to happen and you know that God has given us power, he has given you power over serpents, over scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, as the Bible says in Luke, He's given you power over the serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And that, yes, you can cast out the demon in his name. And you do this, and it's not in vain, and it is in his will. And you are not testing to see if it will work or not. And it's not going to harm that person or you or anyone else. And if it's really what God wants, if it is according to his will, as this verse says, then yes, it will be done. It will be done. And there's no question to it. It will, go, will, 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 will be done. There is no question to it. Believe. Believe. Amen. But the problem is many people pray for a certain girl, certain girlfriend that they want, or a certain boyfriend that they want, or a certain job, or a certain amount of money, or a certain car or a certain something, even a healing, a certain healing in a certain person's body, they say, anything you ask in my name, I would do it, and they use that Bible verse, and it does not get done because 
It is not God's will. Many times it is not God's will to heal a 90-year-old person in the hospital in ICU because their time is up. Their time is up. It's not his will all the time. Sometimes it might be his will. But most of the time, it's not his will for that person to, to continue to live in the flesh and blood to be another 10 years old and another 10 years old and another. So everybody's got to die sometime or another. And sometimes it might be even in their 80s or 70s or maybe even as a teenager that is in the hospital. But it's not God's will for that young person to live. It's not always his will. Because it may be that person needs to go rest in the grave in order to escape the great tribulation. I believe it's Maybe Isaiah 58 or somewhere in there, Isaiah 58, or maybe it's Isaiah 59, somewhere in that range, verse 1 of whatever chapter of Isaiah. That says that some people go rest in their graves in order to escape the storm that is coming. For us, that means the great tribulation, that some people would die before the great tribulation and rest. Sometimes it is not a bad thing for a person to die. Anybody, whether they're righteous or wicked, any person that dies now before the great tribulation comes, hey, that's a good thing for them to die before the great tribulation comes. Even as a young person. Because the great tribulation is going to be extremely difficult. Extremely difficult. And some of the girlfriends and boyfriends and jobs and money and cars and houses that people ask for, you may think it's God's will. It may be something that you think is not harmful, but only good. You may even think it should be for God's purpose. But in reality, it's not. For example, the woman in New York State that I was talking about earlier, that everything's impossible for her to obey God. Uh, she wanted she wanted to sell a house, and she said that she would even give some of the money or all the money or some of it I don't know but some of the money to the ministry. So she wanted to sell it. She believed it was God's will that she sell the house that she hold on to it and sell it to use the money for God. That that's God's will. That God would not want her to just let go of the house. But the problem was. That house was under the control of a very wicked person that she did not have full legal control over it, that it was held up in the court system. And really, it would be, take a very big miracle of God for her to have full control over that house enough to be able to sell it. Now we know that nothing is impossible with God. I'm not saying it would be impossible, but it became very, very clear 
very clear to me, and it should have been very clear to her as well, that God was not going to release that house into her full control. It just simply was not going to happen. It was not God's will. Perhaps because of all the different sins that she refused to repent of. Not only must we be able to confess our sins and also ask according to his will. That is the way it is. That we must ask according to his will. So we may be confessing our sin, which was not what she was doing, but even if we are confessing our sins, it must be according to his will as well. And we may think that what we're asking for is God's will, but it's not. For whatever reason, it may be a reason that we can or maybe that we cannot understand. For whatever the reason, whether we can see the reason or not see the reason, it may not be God's will. And if it's not God's will, then we need to realize it. We need to come to realize it. And we need to not only confess our sin, but we, we need to be able to also confess that it's not God's will. Amen. A lot of times I will pray, Father, if it be your will, then please consider doing this. Or please do this if it is your will. Because sometimes we may think it would be God's will when really it's not. Now, when I have used these examples of different people, I'm not trying to be hateful. I'm not trying to hate anyone, and I'm not hating these people. But because I know of these examples of extreme rebellion against God, I have the right, even the duty, and the responsibility to share these examples to the congregation at large. Because by doing so, I may help people realize their own sin and not make the same mistakes or similar mistakes. So I do not bring up these examples out of hate, but out of love. Hoping for other people to learn from these examples, even as the scriptures tell us about people's sins historically in the Bible, the sins and the mistakes that they made in Israel, that they made in the wilderness. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews did not bring up those people's sins in order to hate those people, no, but rather so that we would learn from these lessons. 
People say you shouldn't bring up people's names or people's mistakes or people's sins in public. People think that I'm hating. But the Bible does the exact same thing. And God does not change. God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And God's word in the Bible brings up people's sins that they have not confessed. Now, if they confess and repent, I would not bring it up. But because their heart is hard and stubborn and rebellious, yes, I would bring it up, hoping for people to learn from these lessons and hoping also for these very same people that I'm talking about, for them to come to realize their sins and how clear it is. Like I said, I think last week, we need a mirror to look at. And our pastor and our friends and other people, they are a mirror to our lives. They can tell us what we cannot see. My hair might be messed up, and I might not be able to see that, but somebody else can see it. They, other people, can see us better than we can see ourselves. And sometimes the truth is very difficult to accept about ourselves. It may be things we do not want to see about ourselves because we don't want to believe that we're sinful, that we're rebellious, or that we're proudful. We don't want to believe these things. But if somebody says that we are, and especially if two people say it or three people say it, then it must be true. Unless you're being persecuted for righteousness, which is not the case in any of these things that I have mentioned. Now let's go to Revelation 12. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, verse 7, let's start in verse 7, I think. Revelation 12, verse 7, Revelation 12, verse 7. This is talking about the very day of the strong delusion that is coming soon. Whether it's this year or next year or whenever it happens, this is talking about the strong delusion. Revelation 12, verse 7. This is our day and our time. There was a war in heaven, or there will be a war in heaven. Michael, which is a good archangel, and his angel, waging war with the dragon, the devil. And the dragon and his angels, including Assad, waged war, a war in heaven between good angels and bad angels. Verse 8. 
And they, the bad ones, were not strong enough. Praise the Lord. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven, which means that they would not be allowed in heaven after this war. They would be cast out of heaven and banned from ever entering back into heaven. Right now, they're able to go back and forth and accuse us day and night before the throne of God. But after this war, there will be no longer a place found for them in heaven, and they would no longer be allowed by God to go back and forth between heaven and earth. And they would no longer be allowed to accuse us day and night at the throne of God. Verse 9, the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the entire world. So if he deceives the entire world, how is it possible that over a billion Catholics could be right? And over a billion Muslims could be right? How is that possible? Impossible. Amen. He was thrown down to the earth. He will be, and his angels, including Assad, were thrown down with him. This is what happens in the strong delusion. We're going to be able to see Assad in heaven, but we will also see him cast down out of heaven. Verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our Theos and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accused them before our Theos day and night. And they, us, the saints, overcame him, the devil, because of the blood of the Lamb. And because of the word of their testimony, you must give your testimony. And you must claim the blood on a daily basis. And they did not love their life, even when faced with death. Now, as we continue to read, we will see that there are some people, some of the true followers of Jesus, who are promised a place of safety and protection upon this earth during the Great Tribulation. Some of them, but not everybody, and not every true follower. There are some true followers of Jesus who will be killed and not protected in the Great Tribulation. And it is those true followers of Jesus that love not their life when faced with death. Many people believe that God promises protection for all of his true people, and that's a lie. He does not. He might protect us sometimes, yes, but not always. Even John the baptizer 
who was the blood cousin of Jesus, blood relative, and a great prophet, man of God, John the baptizer, was not protected by God. Even the Apostle Paul and Jeremiah and Peter, who went to prison or jail many times for the truth. And many disciples and apostles throughout history that died of sickness or old age, poor health, or martyrdom. And was not protected by God at the point of death. But all of us must die. It is appointed unto all men to die once, meaning at least one time. And then later on comes a judgment day for them. So as I began to talk about a promised place of protection for some people, we must realize and remember that the promise of protection, of a place of protection during the Great Tribulation is not for every true follower of Jesus. Therefore, we must discover, learn the truth about what is God's will for us, each one of you individually. Are you ordained to live or to die in the great tribulation? I cannot always answer that for every one of you. That is something that you must seek personally with him in your personal relationship with Christ. When it comes judgment day, I'm not going to be able to stand beside you and intercede for you at that point of time for your righteousness nor for your sin. You're going to face the judgment seat of Christ on your own behalf, nobody beside of you as a lawyer or attorney or pastor. And there will be no excuses. You need to have your own personal relationship with Christ. And you need to be the one who seeks him for what are you called for? What is your job? What is your duty? What is your calling? And what is your fate? Now, as I said before, some people would be blessed to die before the tribulation, before the tribulation. But there's even a scripture in the book of Revelation that talks about a certain point during the tribulation, or maybe it's in the wrath, where it says that blessed is he that dies in the Lord during that time frame. I think it may even say something very similar to that about 
from hereafter. Any blesses he that dies in the Lord from hereafter. That it would be true at any time, regardless when you die, before, during, the early part, or the later part. Any time you die, if you're in Christ, it's okay. It's okay because this life is only your training. Amen. This life is only your training. It is not the ultimate life that you are called to live. This is only your training. This is only boot camp. Amen. Therefore, if you pray for a place of safety and it does not come, if you pray for a place of safety, a place to go, to hide and be safe and survive the great tribulation, but God does not hear that prayer and it does not come, it may be that that was not God's purpose or plan for you, but rather God wanted you to stay in the middle of an urban town or stay somewhere else and not go into hiding so that you can witness to more people, talk to more people, teach more people, share the truth with more people, even if it meant dying on the first day of the Great Tribulation or dying a week later, a month later, or a year later, or two years later, or three years later, however much time that God has planned for you to live only so much part of the tribulation. That may be God's plan for you. It is not that God is unfaithful. No, that is not the reason. We know that he is faithful. But, his will will be done. His will will be done. Amen. But there's also another possibility. It may be that God did want you to go to a place where he would protect you. And yet you still not go to that place and God not protect you, even though it was his will for you to go to a place and he protect you and for you to live during the entire great tribulation. That might be his will and it not be done. That's possible because of your rebellion, because of your sin, because you refuse to confess your fault. His will will be done unless you block it. It is possible for you to block God's will. The Bible says that Daniel prayed, and it took three weeks for an angel, a good angel, come and bring the fulfillment of Daniel's prayers, what he had prayed for. Three weeks it took this good angel from heaven to fulfill what God wanted to do. Because a bad angel was blocking the way. Bad angels and people, 
even yourself, can block the will of God temporarily or even for as long as you live. You can block the will of God. The Bible says, quench not the spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19. Quench not the spirit. And what that means is, it is possible to block God. It is possible because, because your relationship with God and his relationship with you is two ways, like a husband and a wife. He is the groom, you are the bride. And it's conditional. And both of you must be in agreement. How can two walk together unless they be in agreement, the Bible says. So if you are not walking in agreement with God, if you are being rebellious, you're not confessing it, you're not repenting, or if you're not walking in the center of his will, then you're not going to be walking in agreement with God. And you might go to the left and he might go to the right. He might want you to go to Mexico, but you go to Canada instead. Or he might want you to go to Canada, but you go to Mexico instead, whatever. It is possible to get off the track, to get off path, and to go the opposite direction of God's will. For years, even a lifetime, it's possible. People do it every day. Amen? It's God's will for everybody in this town to stop worshiping the devil, but they still worship the devil. God's will will not always be accomplished. Therefore, that's why we pray, Thy will be done, Lord, as it is in heaven. Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven because we're asking for it to be done because it's not always done. We can quench it. We can put it out. We can throw water on the fire. We must walk in agreement with God. We need to make sure we're in the center of his will and that we stay in the center of his will. I'm going to say that again. Very, very, very important. We must make sure we are in the center of his will and that we stay in the center of his will. If we are not yet or if we are not currently in the center of his will, then we need to make a movement we need to make a change. Somehow, somewhere, we need to make a change and get into the center of his will. I can see people, I won't call names, but I see people that are not in the center of his will. And it's more than one person. So examine yourself. Examine yourself. Are you in the center of his will? I can think of four people just within a, a one second right there, four people came into my mind in one second. There's a lot of you. That are not in the center of his will where he wants you to be. He wants everybody to be faithful, to be believing, to be trusting in him, to be obedient, to be mature, to be responsible. Amen. I will get back to these scriptures here in a minute. 
But first, I want to give a testimony, since we do overcome the devil by our testimony. Amen. In 2008, I felt like that I was supposed to sell almost everything that I had, everything that I owned, I was supposed to sell, and I had 30 days to sell all my belongings, everything I had, except for only what I needed in order to live and survive in a tent. At the time, I had a, a good house, a nice house, and the rent was paid. I was doing okay financially. I did not have to leave the house, but I felt that I was supposed to leave the house, sell my stuff, move into a tent, and that I had 30 days to do that. Well, so I did that, and I moved into the tent, and I lived in the tent for seven years. Seven, four years. Although I was not completely rough in it, I did have electric heat, electric lights, so I was not completely living off the grid, but nevertheless, I was not living in a house, but rather a tent for seven years. Eventually, God brought my wife to me, and she also lived in a tent for years. During that time, we learned to trust the Lord. There was many, many times when there was tornado warnings, severe storm warnings, winter warnings, flood warnings, all kinds of warnings, and serious threats. But God was always faithful. Protect us. and to cover us, and to lead us, and to provide for us. God was always faithful. Amen. And even though there were times that were very scary because of the tremendous amount of wind, We learned eventually to rest, to enter into rest, to ignore the storm and the loud noise, and just trust in the Lord. Although, even during that, I still had to fight, take action, try to hold the tent down from blowing away. But it was the power of God that prevented me from getting struck with lightning when I was out there in a heavy downpour of rain for literally all night long, holding the tent down with my wife inside where the wind was ripping up the boards that was underneath the tent, throwing over cement, concrete blocks all night long. That tent wanted to fly away and everything inside. 
many other times as well of danger, tremendous storms, tornado warnings, and winds that sounded like a trait train. Trait, trait train. And lightning, lightning, I'll tell you, lightning like the very almost Nah, not even near the presence of God, but not like the presence of God, but lightning spirits, I would say. But there was also times that I just laid in bed and said, okay, I'm not going out no more. I'm laying here and I'm going to trust God. And we were fine and we were safe. And as my wife has said many times, she learned to trust God, trust in his protection, that he was faithful and powerful to protect us. If it had been anyone else, those many, many, many times that I would have died except for God's protection. But... There was also a time when God almost killed me. There was a time when God himself almost killed me because I was not in the center of his will. And I was not being obedient, but sinful. And God did almost remove me from this earth by killing me almost. But I am thankful that he did severely chastise me, punish me, and deliver me. And accepted my confession and my repentance. People need to become more thankful for his chastisement, correction. But many people are not. And they will bark at his correction. Sometimes, many times, his correction would come through his apostles, through his prophets, through his pastors. Many times, if we read the Bible, many times it has come. His warnings and his chastisement and his correction of people's sins have many times come through his prophets. Read the Bible. And God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He does not change. He still works through his prophets. And the people need to be more willing to accept God's chastisement through his prophets. Stop saying, Pastor Tim hates everybody. Pastor Tim, too demanding or too cruel, hateful. God is a jealous God. God is a jealous God. And he demands everyone, everywhere, to repent. But the Bible says all of this. Let's go back to the scriptures now. Revelation 12, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 12. For this reason, because the devil will be thrown down. Rejoice, O heavens, and you, talking about the angels who dwell in them, 
Woe to the earth and woe to the sea, because the devil has come down to you and also a son, having great wrath, knowing that he has a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman, the church, who gave birth to the male, the church, which is also Israel, had gave birth to Jesus 2,000 years ago. And when the dragon saw, oh, he persecuted the woman, he gave birth, verse 14, but, but the two wings of the great eagle was given to the woman, the church, so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished, underline the word nourished, for a time and times and a half a time, that means three and a half years, from the presence of the serpent. Some of the church, those that do not die, some of the true church will be protected and nourished by God, even hidden from the face of the serpent, even hidden from the presence of the serpent. For three and a half years, for the entire great tribulation, for three and a half years, the son of the true church will be nourished and protected and hidden from the devil. God is strong. God is powerful. And he is faithful. And this is written in the Holy Scripture. It will be fulfilled. Do not use that word if about whether or not this place exists. It does exist. It's written in Scripture. It cannot be broken. What is written in Scripture cannot be broken. It is written. Jesus testified in the final words of the book of Revelation that these words are true and faithful. Verse 15, and the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might at least try to cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened his mouth and drank up the river, which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war for the rest of her children who keep the commandments of the fields and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So some of the church does not go into this place of safety because the dragon goes to make war with the rest, those that do not go into the place of safety. And yet these people who do not go to the place of safety are true people of Jesus who do keep the commandments. And yet they do not go into the wilderness. So it's not meant for everybody. Part of my ministry and my calling, my duty, is to prepare the people to enter the wilderness. But it is also part of my duty 
who's prepared people for death. Different people have different callings. And it is up to you to see God about what your calling is and then to accept it and come into the center of his will and not your will. It might be your will to die, but his will for you to live. Or vice versa, it might be your will to survive, but his will for you to die during that time. You need to make for sure what is God's will and walk in it. And don't assume that it will just happen. God will reveal it, and then you have to walk in. You have to come into a line with his will. You have to take his hand and follow him and walk in agreement with him and not on your own. For this to happen, either direction, whether it's life or death, for this to happen, for you to walk in agreement with him and within the center of his will, it may require great sacrifice because it may be that you're trying to hold on to things that you should not try to hold on to. That might be people, it might be things, it might be jobs, houses, money, career, husbands, wives, children, parents, houses. It could be anything. But you need to examine yourself. Take time to examine yourself. Passover is coming up very soon. <coughs> Passover is in April. April the uh, 21st or 20th, sometime in that time frame. I need to write down here right now. Passover coming up here in, let's see, So that's two months from now. Passover in two months. And those that live inside the United States are required to come to this place where God has put his name for Passover to do communion and foot washing if you can baptize and truly save and his spirit truly live within you, and you live inside the United States, then you are required to come to the place where he has put his name. That is in the Bible. That's not Pastor Tim's commands. Stop saying Pastor Tim commands. That's not Pastor Tim commands. That's Bible. And what it means by where he has put his name, it means where he has established his authority. Well, God has not established his authority in Oklahoma. He has established his authority here in East Tennessee. And this is where the Alpha and Omega Bible, the most accurate Bible in thousands of years, is coming forth to the whole wide world. 
and where this gospel of the kingdom is being proclaimed to the whole wide world, where else has God established his name on this earth today? Where else? This is where God has established his name. And I'm not saying that out of pride. God is my witness right here as I stand behind this pulpit, knowing that I could be struck with lightning. I know the power of God. I have fear of the Lord. God is my witness that I do not say these things out of vanity or pride, but only out of the truth. This is where God has established his name. And anybody that accepts truth should be easily able to see that. Amen. So people have a couple of months to prepare for this. Save up money for the travels, which is the, the reason and requirement for a second tide is to use that for your pilgrimages, for Passover, and for Pentecost, and for the Feast of Tabernacles, those three times a year that the people are required to come up to where God has established his authority. Not only do you have two months to prepare financially, but also spiritually to examine yourself about whether you are in the center of his will, what God wants for you, whether you are truly saved, whether you truly have the Holy Ghost of Jesus Christ living inside of you so that you can or cannot take the communion with the congregation of Jesus Christ and with the body of Christ. Let's go to Matthew Matthew 21, verse 18. Matthew 21, verse 18 to 2. Verse 18. Matthew 21, verse 18. Now in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Jesus became hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except for leaves only. And he said to it, No longer shall there ever be fruit from you, and at once the fig tree will true. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, how did the fig tree wilter all at once? Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, or amen, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only 
do what was done to the fig tree, you are not only cursed, but if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask, all, all, all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Does that mean, does it mean that if you ask for an ink pen to rise in the air, that it will happen? Or that a 110-year-old frail little woman with cancer in the ICU unit in the emergency room in the hospital will live and not die? No. No, but, but, but it says all things. It says everything. But it also says in the previous scripture that we read that it, if it is according to his will. So we should never rely upon only selected verses. Only selected verses, but rather we should rely upon the total of His Word, the sum, the total of adding up all the Scripture. So, therefore, we should look at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and every book of the Bible, all the way through Revelation, add it all up. Balance it out. Get the sum total of his word. The sum of his word is truth, the Bible says. So it must be according to his will. And we must be believing. And we must be in the center of his will. The Bible says he does not hear the prayers of sinners. When it says he does not hear the prayers of sinners, it don't mean he cannot hear you with his ears. That's not what it means. He can hear everything. But it means he will not positively, he will not positively answer your prayers if you are not in the center of his will. This is scripture. Multiple scriptures, multiple scriptures teach that he will not positively answer your prayers if you are not in the center of his will. So you can ask and be believing and it not occur. You can ask and be totally believing without any doubt. And it still won't occur if you are not in the center of his will. Or perhaps you are in the center of his will, but it's not his will to perform it. So you must be in his will, and it must be allowable within his will. Amen. And you must be believing. You must be believing. And that is what this sermon is really about, even though we have included many other elements of this. The main point today is trust and believe. Don't doubt. Trust and believe. In the power of God, what he is able to do, that he will perform it 
if it is his will, and if you are in the center of his will, and if you believe what you're asking for, if you're not believing what you're asking for, then don't ask. And don't waste people's time on their prayer petitions and their fasting and their energy and their time if you yourself are not believing. I can pray for you day and night. I can fast for you for days. And God will not hear my prayer if you yourself are not believing in the faithfulness of God and in the power of God. Amen. Go to John 14. John 14 is a wonderful and powerful chapter of the Bible. Among my favorite, John 14. John 14, verse 8 through 18. John 14, verse 8 through 18. Verse 8, John 14, verse 8, Philip said to him, Master, show us the Father. And then it would be enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me. Philip, he who has sent me has seen the Father. Oh, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Basically, Jesus saying, you're looking at the Father. How come you do not know what you're looking at? Do you need glasses? <laughs> How can you say, show us the Father? Listen, listen to Jesus' response. He may not have never said straight out, I am God. But when he said this, he might as well have said, I am God. There's no difference. He is the Father. Yet he prayed to the Father and submitted to the Father because not all of the Father came down from heaven. Amen? Not all of the Father came down from heaven because if all of the Father had come down from heaven, then we would have never had a son. Or a lamb. Amen. Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. <clears throat> believe me that I am in the Father. And the Father's in me. Otherwise believe because of the work themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
He who entrusts his soul to me, the works that I do, he would do also. And greater than these he would do, because I go to the Father. In other words, my work's done. Now it's your turn. Now you are to be the hands and the feet and the mouth of God, the body of Christ. Many times I say, Jesus cursed the fig tree. Jesus cursed people. People called people hypocrites, dogs, swine, so on. People, but people's response is, but that's Jesus. He was God. He could do it. I cannot do it. I cannot judge. I cannot condemn. I cannot call names. I cannot insult people. That's God can do that. That's Jesus can do. I cannot do what Jesus can do. But the truth is, Jesus has sat down on the right-hand side of the Father. He's sitting down, resting. It is now our job and our duty and our responsibility and the power that he has given us all power in heaven and earth. All power in heaven and earth has now been given to us. We are the body of Christ. And I say to you right here, right now, the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. I am not Christ, but I'm the body of Christ. And the same Father that abides in Christ is in me and hopefully in you. And behold, he has given you power over the serpent and over the scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt us by any means unless it be God's will. Or unless we're outside the will of God. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You were talking about faith, believe, ask anything, I'll give it to you. Now you bring up requirements. Now you bring up law. Now you bring up obedience. And it's connected. This is just like Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4. It's connected. It's conditional. Even though, wait a minute, wait a minute, I do see the word if. I see the word if as the first word of verse 14 and 15, both. If you love me, you would keep my commandments. And it's right in the middle of this conversation about doing anything you have. God does not positively answer. He does not answer the prayers of those that do not keep his commandments. How you might ask for a job and you get it, that's not God. It's just you applied for the job and you got it. It's not always God. Amen. Getting the job does not prove God gave it to you. Lord, mercy. 
verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you additional advocate that he may be with you forever. I'm going to read the footnote here in the Alpha Omega Bible for that verse. Who is going to be with us forever? Revelation 21 and 22 says Jesus will be with us forever. So when it says he will be with you forever, it's only referring to the greater measure of himself in heaven who will come down out of heaven with New Jerusalem and dwell right here on earth with us forever. The Holy Ghost is additional, increased, closer manifestation of himself. He is not a third person, third spirit, third soul or third head of some Greek god monster. Amen. Additional here is translated as more in many verses. Advocate means a legal advocate who makes the right judgment call because he is close enough to the situation. The last sentence in his footnote, a being with legal knowledge and legal standing with evidence who stands beside you in support of you and testifies on your behalf. I've got to make a note here. Therefore, the Holy Ghost that is talking about is the legal advocate. It's not a third person or a third soul or three spirits from third spirit because the Bible says we are baptized into one spirit. The Bible says the Lord is one. But the Holy Ghost is the dimension. The part of God that applies the blood of Jesus within you and over you. It is the part of God that came forth from the flesh of Jesus. It is the part of God that dies for your sins. Not all of God died for your sins. Did you know that? Not all of God died for your sins. Because if all God died, all existence would have exploded. All existence. At the very moment of Christ's death, all existence would have imploded upon itself and there would be nothing that exists from that moment forth if all of God had died. That would have been impossible for all of God to have died because God is eternal. It would have been impossible. It is impossible. But there was a part of God that died. It was not a third soul, a third being, or a third head, or a third person, 
that part of God went to sleep for three days and three nights. The Bible says he rose himself. He rose himself from the tomb. But it is that part that came from the flesh that shed blood for us that is called the Holy Ghost. And it is that part that saves us. And it is important to use that term, Holy Ghost, because when you say Holy Spirit, you're not applying the blood. We overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb. And when you say Holy Spirit, you're not applying the blood. Because the Holy Spirit, the breath of God that stayed in heaven, never died for us. But the Holy Ghost is the soul of him that died for us. It is part of God, not a different person. That same Holy Ghost is our legal, legal advocate. That stands for us. Claiming the blood over us, supporting us, encouraging us, teaching us. It is that part of God that makes us declared innocent after we have repented, confessed our sins, that he has cleansed us from all unrighteousness and forgiven us our sins. And that we can then go forth boldly to the throne of grace if we accept him as our attorney. If we accept him as our advocate with legal standing, legal knowledge, and evidence who stands beside you in support of you and testifies on your behalf. But he cannot legally defend you if you do not accept his defense of his blood. And he cannot protect you or answer your prayers if you do not accept his power, his legal standing, his defense, his authority, and his faithfulness that he knows what he's doing. Have you seen people that have no faith in their lawyer? have no faith in their friend or somebody. It's a miserable situation when somebody doesn't have no faith in somebody. And it may be that the lawyer is a very good lawyer and knows what they're doing. And yet the people still don't have faith. And when you do not have faith in a good lawyer, you will lose the case because you're not obeying what the lawyer has told you to do. You give up on the lawyer. You don't pay him. You don't show up for your appointments because you just lose all faith in that lawyer. But if you have faith in him, then you will show up for your appointments. You will follow through in all the requirements and all the instructions. And you will show up on time, every time. Verse 17, the Spirit, it doesn't say one of the Spirits, but the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be with you. Now, of course, the world can 
receive him. It's not impossible for the world to receive him. But it says they cannot receive because they don't know him. In other words, they don't want to know him. And they do not know him, therefore they do not have him. They do not know him, therefore they do not have him. That's what that really means. They do not have him because they do not know him. In other words, there's another verse that says something like, if you say you know me, keep not my commandment, you're a liar. The truth is not him. If you say you know me, keep not my commandment, you're a liar. If you say you know me and do not keep the seventh day, you're a liar. Sunday worshiper. Amen. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. This is talking about the Holy Ghost will come to you. He says, Jesus says he is the Holy Ghost right there. The Holy Ghost is not a third person. It is Jesus. The Holy Ghost is the person that died on the cross for you or the soul that came from him. I will come to you. He identifies himself as being the advocate. And it says, I will not leave you as orphans. He's also saying he's the father. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will be your father. Book of Revelation even says that. I will be your father, you will be my sons and my daughters. Book of Revelation. Jesus is the Father. But he is the portion of the Father that dies for your sins and not the greater measure. But 1 Corinthians 15, when it's all said and done, once death is pushed aside, once all things are conquered, once all wickedness is destroyed and there's no more devil, no more demons, no more wicked people, God will be made whole again. What it says in 1 Corinthians 15, he will be made whole again. And the part that sits on the left throne and the part that sits on the right throne will be made whole again. He divided himself for you. So that part of himself would come down through Mary. But he shall be made whole again. And once we get into paradise, we will only see one being, one God, one Lord, and that is Jesus. And he always has been Jesus. And always will be Jesus. It is Jesus that spoke the Ten Commandments. It is Jesus that led them out of Egypt. It is Jesus that spoke to Moses. It is Jesus that spoke to Abraham. It is Jesus that speaks to you and to me. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He changes not. He only divides himself and will be made whole again. But he's the same God. Amen. One last Bible reference, James 1. Right after Hebrews.
James chapter 1, verse 1 through 8, and then verse 17. James 1, verse 1 through 8, and verse 17, God willing. Verse 1 says, James, a bondservant of Theos, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who are dispensed aboard greetings. Consider all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith reduces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result. So that you may become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of Theos, who gives to all generously and without reprimand, and it will be given to him. Of course, we know all the conditions we've talked about. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that mankind ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. That needs to be better translated. And actually all we need to do is do, uh, let me thank you. can't remember the exact way I'm going to do it, but in the PDF, I've already uploaded. So I'm going to make some more changes to some other verses, but nevertheless, this particular verse is already corrected in the newest edition of the AOB PDF that is online that you can download. But I know that I'm adding, I do remember that I'm adding the word doubtfulness in parentheses, some words in here. And it is in that doubtfulness, or in that doubtfulness, something like that, in that doubtfulness, that mankind not ought to expect that he would see anything from the Lord. In other words, yes, we can expect receive from the Lord. We've just read a million verses that says we can receive from the Lord if we ask. But rather, it is in that doubtfulness. It is in the person who doubts, who is driven and tossed by the wind. It is in that doubtfulness that we cannot expect to receive from the Lord. Verse 8, being a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. And what that means about being double-minded is thinking two things at one time. Some people, they sometimes believe in the Lord and sometimes they don't believe that God is real. Some people believe God is real. They usually believe God is real only when 
They want to tell you you're wrong about doctrine. And they claim to know more about the Bible and know more about God than you do. And that's when they believe in God and they believe in the Bible when they are suddenly experts on the Word of God, on Scripture, and on doctrine. That's when they believe in God. But then the other times, they say, God's not real. How do you know God has forgiven you? And so forth. God's not real. There are people that are that double-minded. There are people that double-minded, if you believe it or not. That's a very sad and strange situation when people are that double-minded. And people that are that double-minded, they are very unstable. And God would not hear their prayers, and God would not protect them. God might not even protect their family, their wives, their children. Even if their wives are very obedient to God, God might not even protect the wife because of the man disobedient. That's possible. You might not think it's possible, but it's possible. The Bible says, no, you're not. That if you have sex with a prostitute, that you are one with that prostitute. Whoever you have sex with, you are at one with them. And your spirits combine, they connect. So if you are a husband and wife and one is obedient and one is disobedient, then you are partaking of the Lord's table and the devil's table at the same time. And you are at one with the person that you sleep with. God blesses the whole household or condemns the whole household. We see that many times in Scripture that he condemns the whole house or blesses the whole house. Bible says that he that forsakes his wife or house or land or brother or mother or father, combining two different verses here, that anybody that forsakes anybody or anything for God will be blessed. That is one of the many reasons why that I have told people that they need to leave their parents, husband or wife, because you're living in the devil's house. I would not live in the devil's house. Even when I was a young man, and not being fully obedient 
to the Lord, not being fully saved at the time, years ago, decades ago. If I saw that a person was disrespectful toward other people, treated a waitress wrong, or whatever, or some other evil thing about a person, I would leave. I would depart from that person. Even if I had been planning to stay with that person, live with that person, I would depart. I'd be out of there. I'd be like, no, I will not live with a person who is disrespectful for a waitress because I have high respect for people. And we should treat people right and with respect. There have been many times I have fled, left and departed relationships and houses and money because that righteousness was not present in the situation in that person. We should be people of honor. We should be people of honor. And we should not think that we can partake of the devil's table and the Lord's table at the same time. Live with the wicked. Live with people who are worshiping demons. Pope Francis is a demon. Pope Benedict is a demon. And live with such a person who is going to the Catholic Church every Sunday and you call yourself saved and you think you're following Jesus? No, you're deceiving yourself and you're lost. Like I told my mom when I was a young man, still living at home, age 13 or 14 or 15, I told my mom concerning my second stepfather that I had, I said I would rather live in a ditch than to live here. Too many people cut first the comfort of a warm place to lay down at night. And they will compromise and condone wickedness and evil, knowing that they live in the house of the devil. And they will put up with it, compromise with it, and turn a blind eye to it just for a warm place to sleep or food out of a cold refrigerator or free rent. People need to stop compromising with the devil. People say they love God more than any person. And they're deceiving themselves. Because if you really did, you would fly around the world if that's what God wanted you to do, that is. Or you would leave him or her if that's what God wanted you to do. I don't know God's will for every one of you, but I know what I would do.
Even Jesus asked the question, will the Son of Mankind find faith when he comes? It's a good question because the people are not faithful. They do not trust God for a way out. They do not trust God for a place to go or a way out, a way of escape. They do not trust God for victory or protection or provision. If they forsake the devil, God would not provide for them. My mom would not leave that man if I could call him a man. My mom would not leave him because she thought she needed that man, that money, that provision, that food that he would provide. She did not trust God provide a way of escape and provision for her and her child even after I said I'd rather live in a ditch than to live here. And there are many women who would rather live with an abusive boy that they call a man and allow their children to continue to live in hell because they do not trust God for victory. Maybe they shouldn't trust God for victory if they're not in the center of his will. Amen. Go down to verse 17. James 1, verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In other words, no darkness in God. He is pure light, no darkness in him. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. That doesn't mean every job, every car, every boyfriend, every girlfriend, every ancient prayer. No. Because the devil can answer prayer. The devil can give jobs and boyfriends, girlfriends, and money. But a perfect gift is not from the devil. Amen? A perfect gift is from God. And there's no darkness in him. God is light and he is pure. We need to trust in his power and his faithfulness that if we do our part and if we walk in agreement with him, he will walk in agreement with us and say yes. If we say yes to him, he'll say yes right back. Trust in God. 
and walk in the center of his will. Find it, get in there, and stay in there. And once you're in there, in the center of his will, trust in him, believe in him, and stay in the center of his will. And you will see miracles. You will see miracles like you cannot imagine. You will see miracles. And you, yourself, will even perform miracles. You believe and trust in him and follow him and obey him. Trust and obey. Trust and believe. Amen. This concludes the sermon. I trust that it will accomplish the purpose with force that has been sent. Special announcement about the Alpha and Omega Bible. I have only a little bit of editing still left to do, very little on the update, and hopefully in two weeks or less, maybe in only one week, uh, the update will be available for everybody to receive. Uh, If you can, pay for it yourself and order the updated edition of the Alpha and Omega Bible, all five volumes. I encourage you to do so after the update is finished, and I will release it in the newsletter notifications. I will send out the email and text messages to everybody that subscribed to the notifications. And let you know when it is available. And at that time, you'll be able to go on book deposit. Well, actually, you'll be able to go on Amazon. It would take a couple weeks after that two or three weeks after that before it will be available on Book Depository. Bookdepository.com is very slow about receiving the update. But as soon as I release the notification, it will be available on Amazon first. That would be the fastest way to obtain it is on Amazon. And wait for that notification and order all five volumes. Now, I do make it available at the very cheapest possible price that they will allow me uh, to release it, for them to sell it. God is my witness that whatever price range that they say, this is the price range, choose a price, and I always choose the very cheapest price possible that they will allow me to set for the price. I'm not trying to make a profit. I wish I could give this for free to everybody, but I simply cannot because the, the amount of tithes coming into the ministry is very small in comparison to the amount of expense that we're having to pay for many different projects that are ongoing in this ministry. If you cannot, in any way, shape, or form, order and pay for the Bible itself, by yourself, I mean, out of your own money or out of your own tithes, then I will be willing to pay for it and send it to you without you paying anything. 
Brother Nicholas and Kiki, meekness, Beth, I will, of course, provide these for you because of your situation. AJ, please let me know. Garden and Sagina, please let me know. Others, please let me know. But anybody that can somehow, some way, pay for it out of your own money, that would be a help. And I can offer it to people even cheaper than on Amazon if you will email me or call me. Give me your credit card information, your credit card number, expiration date, name on your card, address, all that information. I can put, I can go on the computer on Amazon, act like I'm you, got your name, your credit card information, everything, and get you wholesale price, which will get you a little bit off price. I can't do that. I can do that for anyone that wants to do that. With your permission, I will be willing to do that for you. And that would be the same price that I would pay for it if I order it myself, even though I'm putting your name on it because I'm going under my account. And I can still do it even with your credit card information and address, name, and everything. I'm not trying to make any profit. This new update will have more notes. It fixes a lot of misspellings and typos. Some of it was my fault, some of it was not my fault. But it fixes a lot of typos and misspellings. It has extra notes now. And it also more accurately translates some of the verses throughout all five volumes. There are some corrections and editing of some of the verses to make it even more accurate and more clear what the words mean and what the verses mean. Excellent update. And I do encourage everyone to order it in however manner that you order it. I'm not sending to people a list of all the different corrections because it takes too much time and effort to do that. I have to focus on getting the editing done, the publishing, the printing, the distribution. And even though I would love to send everybody a list of all the corrections, I have to prioritize my time and my energy and get it accomplished and then let everybody receive the updated versions rather than you going in the paperback copies that you have, trying to scratch out everything and make the corrections and try to write in all the corrections to 
try to save money, it would be better for you to receive a brand new updated copy because there are lots and lots and lots of corrections and editing. So that would be much better for you to just get a new copy rather than trying to scratch out, correct everything. What's happening in the news? I sent notifications today about transfers traveling in the Muslim nation. Came out with a logo of a mixture of the Islamic crescent moon and the Christian cross for his travel to Morocco. So they are openly and admittedly combining Islam with so-called Christianity. 4,000 Muslims gathered last week or within the last couple of weeks, 4,000 Muslims gathered with thousands of Catholics to worship Francis and the United Immigrants Nation. Not just Catholics gathering to hear Francis, but Muslims by the thousands. It's very easy to see and discern that Francis and Benedict both that they are the two horns of the false prophet. How do you do Benedict? That's good. Very good. And do Pope M. Let's vote. Good news about the video that finally I got a new web camera and the right software program to successfully and easily record the sermon. I, can, I still cannot broadcast live video because our internet is not strong enough and we cannot afford strong internet. But we can at least now easily record the video for the sermons. And now, uh, after the sermon is over with, I will be able to upload the sermon within one hour or so. And now concerning the... Um, that's for the video will be uploaded hopefully within one hour on the ministry website. Concerning the audio recording on the radio station, that will be uploaded to the radio station archives within a matter of 
translation because I still have to continue the editing and the uh, formatting over the next week or week and a half or two weeks before it gets published and released. And that means lots and lots and lots of work for me over the next week or two. I do ask for your prayers for strength and energy and divine inspiration and divine help for me in this task, which is a lot of work, a lot of hours. I do need your prayers for this. Please pray more for my wife as well, for healing in her body. Pray more for this ministry, reach more people around the world. Please distribute the flyers. They are extremely important. Flyers about the stone delusion, flyers about Easter that you sent from the website. And if there's any reason that you cannot print them from the website at home, you can probably go to a local library or internet shop or a friend's house or relative's house to print. And at last resort, contact me and I will be glad to mail you some flyers for free for you to distribute in your local area. And at any time that you're traveling, to go to a different town or a different state, please take flyers with you and distribute in different towns, different places that you're traveling. Just sow the Word of God, the messages, the truth, the warnings from Jesus Christ 
about Easter and the stone delusion and the halal month of the beast and other topics to the world. On the highways and in everywhere that you go, distribute the word of God. This is your part of the ministry. But continue to keep an eye on what is happening in the news concerning Syria. But I see, I do see how the Pope now is much more increased his outreach to the Muslim, even though he has always reached out to the Muslims a lot, but so much more powerfully in the recent weeks. And I do believe that as a sign. Okay, so I will let everybody go now. Thank you very much for listening. All of this in Jesus' name. Amen.